What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind-blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and I am your host. And like I say every week, it is a privilege. So thank you so much for writing and engaging in your different questions with me. I've had many come in, and as you have seen over the past few episodes, I've been working through some of them. So what I've done today is I've grouped them into one category where multiple questions have come in. So we're going to be addressing regret and shame or regret slash shame and then moving into guilt over the next three episodes. Regret and shame and moving to guilt. So if, if you're listening, you can identify with aspects of your life where you've sensed disappointment or you've been mad at yourself. But these are really born out of the question that James wrote. James wrote in about his time in the army and how decisions he made in the army led him to try to get out of the army, but then also it somewhat communicated that he wasn't courageous. And he wishes he could go back and not have to live with that story of his military days. Mary wrote in and spoke of regret over her relationships. She mentioned that she had had multiple marriages that had failed, and there were kids that came from those marriages and the difficulties those children faced. I think all of us can identify a level of regret and shame in our past, things that we're not proud of, an era or an event. And as you consider those particular instances, I, I want to unpack how do you think of your regrets biblically? How do you approach them? In the context of dealing with your regrets, I would encourage you to see that at the end of this episode and beginning of next episode, we're going to have practical on-ramps to dealing with our regrets. Because in the end, remember that we have a good God who is sovereign and he uses even our shameful or regretful actions to accomplish his purposes. So I'll explain more of that. But let me start by saying that, you know, first of all, as I was preparing for this episode, it seems to me that regret and shame in the scripture are not quite different. In fact, you're going to see shame utilized in the scripture, but regret is something that we would modernly use. And in modern terms, we mean it something like this. Guilt, it culminates in guilt. It leads to shame. So when I have regret, it leads to shame or embarrassment where I feel as if I've done something wrong or uh, I don't want people to find out about what I did. There's kind of that hidden part of my life. We mean by it something like disappointment, loss, sadness. I've heard it said this way, that we're mad at ourselves. You ever experienced that where you're just kind of frustrated at what you did? It stinks. I was reflecting on this recently and, and as there have been times in my own life I could go back to and say, you know what, I wish if I could do it over, I wish I could do that one differently. Uh, even recently, I was taking my youngest son on a bike ride and of my own foolish decision, uh, got into a bike accident with him. And so he had a scratch on his face at the end of it. And I just felt awful. And in that, when we're talking about regret, it's something that I'm just, I'm mad at myself. There's a loss, there's a sadness, there's a disappointment, even a level of embarrassment. That's what we're talking about. And biblically, when we begin to use that phrase, 
we're seeing that shame, regret are often similar. They're often in that same category. Uh, What you're going to see is that in the scripture, there are many instances of people who acted regretfully and acted shamefully. We're going to see shame as early as Adam in the garden where Adam sins and then he and Eve cover themselves to hide from the presence of the Lord. That type of shame is something that's going to plague mankind throughout redemptive history. It moves on to Cain, who murders his brother. It moves on to Abram, who lies about Sarah being his sister and not being his wife. It moves on to Moses, who kills a man in Egypt and then is reminded by one of his Jewish brothers of what he's done, so he flees. It moves on to David with David's sinful acts towards Uriah and Bathsheba. And by the time we get to the New Testament, the New Testament isn't short of examples either for regret and shame. Peter, out of all of these examples that I've mentioned, they're all pretty bad, but Peter's is really towards the top when you have denied the Son of Man, and not just once, but have denied him three times. And the scripture says that he weeps whenever he recalls exactly what Jesus had said in the upper room. Paul is another example of this, and then I'll bring us back to Paul here in a little bit as we look at the way that God used Paul's sinful past to even accomplish God's purposes. But uh, I want to include one as well, and if you have a Bible, we're, we're going to turn over to Acts 21. So if you're driving, uh, please don't turn in your Bible right now. <laughs> you guys think that's funny. No, uh, sorry, my jokes aren't funny, but I think they're funny, so then I often have to not say them anymore because other people don't think they're funny. So don't turn over there if you're driving, but if you do have a Bible, I do want you to turn there because it's helping you get familiar with the Scriptures. We're going to talk about an instance where James gave Paul bad counsel, or the counsel that he gave him, at least the advice that he gave him, led to Paul's arrest, which would lead, which would lead excuse me, to him going to Caesarea and ultimately spending two years in Caesarea and ending up in Rome. So James offers advice that got Paul arrested. It's something that he has to deal with. So there is a level of shame and regret built into the pages of Scripture seemingly from day one. You know, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, moving forward, we see that regret and shame is just part of the narrative of what we experience as mankind. And yet, I want to add two categories out of this because, remember, not all shame and not all regret is going to be sinful. So let's create two categories with regret and shame, okay? First of all, I want you to create a category that says, not everything that I feel shame over is sinful. So for instance, let me give you examples of these. There are many of us that would redo a financial decision if we could. We didn't know the housing bubble was going to pop. Uh, We didn't know when we refinanced it was going to be the highest interest rate. You know, we didn't know that company was preparing to tank when we purchased stock from them. Those types of financial decisions are not inherently sinful, yet we do regret making them in all candor. And so when you think of a financial mishap or a financial decision and it did not go well, that's a non-sinful mistake that I regret making. And uh, again, like some of us have lost thousands and tens of thousands of dollars on foolish financial decisions. Some of us have taken a job that people advised us not to accept. We took the job, accepted it, and then all of a sudden we realized why people were saying don't accept that position. 
So that is not necessarily sinful, although we're blurring the lines to a certain degree of rejecting wise counsel or are you motivated by money first, but taking a new job that brings with it difficult consequences or something that it just may be a regret. I live in California. A lot of Southern Californians are migrating to other states, Idaho, Texas, Tennessee, but I'll regularly hear a year and a half later that the person that has moved away cannot find a church that they liked as much as their church here. And I think something like, well, yes, that's a regret that you have and you, you need to count that cost before you move from Southern California. But I'm not necessarily saying that you're in sin. It's just something you might have thought of differently if you had considered there not being a great church in your area. A couple more thoughts on non-sinful regrets. Think of accidents. I mentioned a second ago, the bike accident with my youngest son. Think of a car accident. Think of times where we accidentally hurt someone else and we regret it, honestly. If we could relive that day, redo that moment, then we would gladly get rid of that decision and, and make a new decision. So that is non-sinful regret and non-sinful shame. And I'm going to give you a way to, to measure the difference here in a second. But let me give you, first of all, the next category. So you have non-sinful mistakes, regrets, and we feel shame over them. And then you have sinful things where I've lied. I've lied to you. I've lied to others. I've cheated. I've stolen. I have hurt people, even physically so. And when you think of those instances, the regret and the shame that you experience is actually legitimate. That's part of God's kindness, as you'll see. So when I begin to identify what am I experiencing regret over, I need to take the lens of Scripture and say, okay, first of all, is this something where I sinned or is this something where I made a mistake, I would have done it different, maybe you could say I was foolish, but I don't believe that I had a heart to please God and I don't believe I was intentionally rebelling against the Lord. When you start with those categories, what you will find, listener, is that that's going to give you clarity for your response. But if you don't have the ability to say somewhere within, that wasn't a sinful decision, that was a mistake, then you might actually get wrapped around the axle with, with uh, over-regret about things that were not sinful or with a high level of shame with something that is not inherently shameful. So the mechanism for how we know that I will share with you when we come back from our break. So let's take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to help provide a mechanism for figuring out how do I know this is a non-sinful or how do I know this is sinful regret? We'll be right back. All right, folks. Well, we'll be back with Dr. Gifford in just a moment as he continues to talk about regret and shame. And this is pretty relevant topic this week is actually part one of three and it's something I know we've all struggled with in our lives and that's why I want to tell you about a resource that you can read and study right alongside these transformed episodes the next couple of weeks it goes right along with what Dr. Gifford is talking about Stephen Byers putting your past in its place it's a resource that's available right now on our website at transformed.org. One of the things that he talks about in the book that I think will shock you to your core is he says that God's work in your life is bigger than a constricted, bitter past. And he also says that God's work in your life is bigger than any dreamy, unrealistic view of the good old days. That's something I think that is ingrained in our heads. We want our lives to go back to the way they used to be, and we would do anything to get them back to those days that we consider 
the good old days. And that's when regret and shame tend to crop up into our attitudes. And we notice that and it just virus hits the nail on the head, just like Dr. Gifford has been hitting the nail on the head so far. So if you've been struggling with past regrets and shame and guilt, this book, Putting Your Past in Its Place by Stephen Byers, will walk you through applying God's truth so you can finally put your past in its God-ordained place. Get a copy at transformed.org. Also, while you're there navigating through our website, you might notice that there's an opportunity for you to join our team. That's right, you can become an ongoing monthly gospel partner because these episodes of Transformed, well, they don't come out of thin air. It takes good people just like you to help us produce all of the content that we're able to produce, including Transformed. We need you. We need your help. We need your support. And as many of you know, our aim is not just to help you. Of course, that is a big part of what we do, but it also includes something even grander than that. Yes, we want to help you, but we also want to equip you to help others. And so your support makes that possible. Would you prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? You can get all of the details right now at transformed.org. And speaking of equipping you, if you have ever thought about becoming a biblical counselor, how do you do that? Well, well, we have resources available to get you started and on the path to becoming a biblical counselor at transform.org. One of those is The Heart of Addiction by Mark Shaw, and you can pick it up right now at transformed.org. Okay, well, as you know, I could yap all day long, but I'm not going to do that because you're actually here to not hear from me, but Dr. Greg Gifford. So let's get back into this week's episode of Transform as he continues to discuss guilt and shame and regret. This is Transform. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Okay, welcome back from the break. So when you and I experience regret and shame, the next step that we should take is to evaluate our regret and shame from what the Bible says. So when I feel regret and shame over something, I need to have the wherewithal to say, and what does God say about my regret and shame? So in, in the next step, so step one is me experiencing regret and shame. Step two is me then evaluating what the scripture says about what I am feeling shame over. And if the scripture does not condemn it as being sinful, then now I have to see that my regret and my shame does not lead to me being sinful or guilty before the Lord. In fact, I have to be free in understanding that what I did may not be desirable. And I'm, I'm thinking of the things like safety violations. I accidentally ran that stop sign and hit somebody with my car. In those occasions, I, I cannot say I need to repent of that. I can just say I, I, I need to learn from that and I don't want to do that again, but I'm not in sin for what I did there. But if you re, redo that scenario and duplicate and say, okay, if I were driving under the influence of alcohol and ran a stop sign and hit somebody, that's no longer just a regret, but that's now actually a sinful decision that I regret. 
the Bible speaks against being intoxicated, and it actually commends those who are fools for going to wine. It does that in Proverbs, and part of Isaiah is condemning those in Judah for longing for wine and being heroes at drinking wine. So we know that it is not God's will for us to be intoxicated. So is there shame that is rightful? Am I guilty because of drinking and driving? Yes. If that were true in my life, yes, I should say I am legitimately shameful. But if I'm not, and listener, you have to hear this. If I'm not, if the Bible has not identified what I am experiencing regret and shame over as being sin, then I need to see that before the Lord, I am not guilty. I am not in sin. So we're talking about a non-sinful mistake, something I wish I could get a mulligan and redo, but it's not a sinful thing. So I want to talk about that non-sinful category, and, and let's think through how the Lord would want us to approach this. Okay, If you have your Bibles open to Acts 21, I want you to look with me at Acts 21, and then let's go down to verse 17. And I want to show you something that took place between Paul and James here. So verse 17, Acts 21, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Okay, this is the counsel that James gives. And when you're hearing this vow, it's a Nazarite vow. It comes from the Old Testament. It means that you're going to shave your head and go on a restrictive diet for a certain period of consecration to the Lord. The fees that Paul's going to pay are most likely sacrificial fees on behalf of those that are going to take the vow. And, uh, the vow excuse me. So the fees are uh, to cover the cost of the animals or to cover the cost of the foods that would be sacrificed. So what is James saying? Take this vow, show the Jews that you don't hate the law and you're not upending the law at every town you go and teach. So Paul does that. And when he goes into the temple at the end of chapter 21, he's arrested by the Jews. They start a ruckus and they begin to accuse him. James's advice did not lead to what James thought it would lead to. It actually led to Paul being arrested. Now, remember in Damascus, Paul is actually snuck out of a window and, and he gets out of town. He gets out of Dodge. But here, James is going to give him advice that actually gets him arrested. When you look at those types of decisions that we make in our life, we have to be able to see that God uses our mistakes to accomplish his plans. God uses our mistakes to accomplish his plans. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God, meaning that he's in control of everything and that he could have easily not had you at that place and space and time at that exact moment? You see, understanding your regrets that are not sinful regrets, there's no shame, there's no actual guilt in what you've done. You have to see that at times God uses your decisions you would like to redo to accomplish his plans. 
I don't want to speak for James, but I can't help but think that James wishes that maybe they came up with another idea. Maybe that one isn't the best one, James. Let's try another idea to help show that, that Paul actually supports the law. But you can see from Paul heading back to Jerusalem, he knew that his time was come. Agabus reminds him of that, that, that he is going to be arrested. So Paul knows that he is ready to suffer for the gospels. That's what he told the Ephesian elders on the beach at Miletus, like it's going to happen. So James is part of that plan. And if we say it's a mistake or if we say it wasn't the best of advice, we can at least say that God used that advice to get Paul arrested. You know, sometimes we zoom in so much on how we would like to redo that thing, and we don't see that God uses that event. God uses my bad decisions to help accomplish his purposes in my life, whether that's greater Christ-likeness, whether that's greater trust, whether that's me increasing in wisdom, and that's true for you as well. So number one, I want you to see that God uses your mistakes, your non-sinful regrets to accomplish his purposes. The second is that I I would then encourage you to trust God's providence, meaning practically that God could have ordained and God could have orchestrated for you to be at another part of the universe at that exact moment, but he did not. He had you exactly at that stop sign. He had you exactly at that intersection or exactly in that car. Yet exactly at that time, meeting with the realtor, about to buy the house before the housing bubble popped, like whatever it is, the Lord and his providence guided and orchestrated that. So we can say something like Joseph as we look back and say, you know what, you may have meant it poorly, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God uses circumstances to accomplish his purposes, so we trust him, we trust his providence. So no longer is it just about a regret that I would like to get back and have a redo. It's now me saying, will I trust God's plan in my life and trust his providence because he's big enough to have changed that and yet he didn't. So I trust him. So as you start there, God uses your mistakes. I'm trusting his providence. Then the third thing I would say is you need to work through your part in it and identify what you did slash did not do for the sake of evaluating your response. When we experience regret, we need, to, we need to comb through what we did with the pages of Scripture so we can identify what God would have us to do next. So once I've done that, I can then move on and say, look, if this is simply a mistake that I've made, how can I grow in wisdom and not do it again? You and I are familiar with this. It's a pretty like flagrant, gross portrait of foolishness in Proverbs 26.11. Like a dog returns to its vomit. Ugh, some of you have dogs. You know, they, they do that. They're nasty at times. And then they come kiss me as, as soon as they've done that. I'm always like, Ugh, back up. Ugh, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's what it's like when we don't learn from our mistakes. And if we acted foolishly in a mistake and we do that again, I do think that we're starting to take on the characteristics of a fool. So when we make a mistake, we increase in wisdom and we don't do it again. Lord willing, we learn from what we did wrong there and we try not to duplicate that. If I keep making that same mistake, I'm moving into this lane of being a fool or deft or a poor listener. So number four, I need to increase in wisdom based off of that mistake. And some of you, I know I can say this on my own behalf, some of us learn best through our mistakes and we learn what not to do in the future. So last but not least, 
we're going to move forward with faithful actions and we're not going to let those regrets compound. Here's where we make mistakes, folks. We let our frustrations at ourselves actually complicate our current response, which is compounding the problem. For instance, I'm embarrassed I got mad and yelled. And if that takes place and I respond to my embarrassment in shame by withdrawing from the family, then I'm compounding the problem. If another person is embarrassed by their anger when they lost their temper and exploded, and then now they're using alcohol to an extreme extent, we could say you're compounding the problem. The original regret is bad, but now you're actually compounding it. So how do I prevent from compounding that problem? I say, look, if I could make that decision again, I would. I would make it differently, but I cannot. So I'm going to be faithful right now to what God has before me today. Listeners, if you're hearing me on this, this will set you free from complicating the issues when you say, look, I would make that decision differently, but I can't. So I'm going to move forward today in being faithful. That's all I can do right now. So let me pray for you. This is the first of a three-part series, so I hope you'll join us on our next episode, but let me pray before we're done. Lord, I don't want to be trite about the experiences that folks have witnessed or acted on. And I don't want to minimize the difficult scenarios that do bring shame and regret. But yet I also know that your mercy is deeper and your forgiveness can cancel any debt. So give us grace to go to your word and to trust what you say as we evaluate our own regret and shame. And we ask for your help in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, of course, is transformed.org, and it is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends and church family. Also, would you prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? And until next time, go serve your king.